0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. And today we're joined by Mark Nissey, the AJC's elections expert, to talk about some major developments in Georgia's election. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hi, good to hear from you. Good to hear from you too. I guess I haven't seen you in um, <laughs> in a few weeks. How are you holding up? Oh, doing
1: fine. Nobody sees anybody anymore. We just do things by phone and email these days.
0: Yeah, I, I get to go to some of the governor's press conferences, at least I've gone to all of them so far. But but it's is, it is very surreal seeing just a handful of cameramen, a few reporters, but most reporters haven't been going to those either because it's all live streamed. Um, but it is it, I, at least I get to come see some of the Capitol press score here and there.
1: Right. I did get to go to one press conference at Liberty Plaza last week with the secretary of state. So that was a good
0: opportunity to get out of the House you had some major news after that um shortly after that press conference at Liberty Plaza um Talk about talk about how things have changed very drastically with, with Georgia's elections, because for the longest time, it seemed like there was a, uh, a, a not even a, a pointing fingers at each other, but it, it was more of Secretary of State said he didn't have the power to delay elections. Governor Kemp said he didn't have the power to delay elections. Lawmakers wanted them to de- delay elections, but couldn't do so because they're not in session. So it seemed like there was this long stalemate that was abruptly ended a few days ago. Right, I think as
1: time passed, it became, more clear that when the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, said he didn't have the authority to delay the primary election, what he was signaling is he was waiting for the Governor Kemp to renew his state of emergency, which he did last Wednesday. And so after that was done, it was the next day when Secretary of State Raffensperger eventually did delay the election until June 9th
0: yeah and that kind of triggered um, everything and and as you mentioned the governor um, had an, uh, had a, a public health emergency declaration that was set to expire in the middle of April and he extended it um, he extended it another month and it uh, and also extended the shelter in place order through the end of April and I, I guess that opened the doors for for Georgia um, to delay its primary a couple weeks to June 9th. Um, it's the second time the presidential primary has been delayed, although at this point it's a moot point because Bernie Sanders has now dropped out of the contest and, and, and endorsed um, Joe Biden. But it's also uh, it's also a dramatic change for the state legislative candidates, for the congressional candidates and, of course, for the two for the candidates in Georgia's two U.S. Senate races. Um, I shouldn't say two yes that a races. It only, only affects one, but, but for the candidates in, who are competing to to challenge David Perdue, um, who are all banking on a May election and now now have three more weeks to uh, to get out the vote. That's right. And I think most
1: candidates are grateful that it was delayed. I mean, of course, there's the public health concern and it became clearer over time that there was the potential for the coronavirus to make voting in person very difficult when early voting would have started if the election had stayed on May 19th. Early voting would have started April 27th. And that's right about when the coronavirus is supposed to peak in Georgia, when you look at number of deaths and number of hospital beds that will be used. So from a public health perspective, I think it became more and more untenable to hold the election on May 19th. But for candidates, too, this gives them more time to campaign, more time to prepare, more time to reach voters that actually will go to the polls. And through this absentee ballot process, they'll get a ton of information about who has voted and who hasn't voted on their absentee ballots. So I've heard from candidates who are very excited about getting this new trove of information about which voters they can target, who hasn't voted yet, and whose doors they need to knock
0: on. Yeah, or or virtually knock on because there won't be any much knocking, but they'll know how to contact those voters. And Let's talk about that a little bit because Georgia sent uh, what? How, how many? How many absentee ballot request forms were sent to active voters? About six million, five point nine million,
1: right? Six point nine million. So there are about seven point three million voters in Georgia, and that includes active and inactive. And out of those seven point three million, six point nine million are active, meaning they haven't moved and they have participated in an election in roughly the last eight years or so. So most of the most almost all of Georgia's voters are being mailed these absentee ballot request forms.
0: So that's a tremendous number of request forms. Um, they're still sparking some some concerns um, from from Democrats and from other critics who say that uh, these forms are, are still a form of, of poll tax because uh, they don't include uh, paid postage. Is that right? That's right. Um, both the forms don't include paid
1: postage and the absentee ballots themselves when they are mailed won't include paid postage. Um, There are ways around that, however, for the absentee ballot request forms, they can be emailed to county election offices and county election office email addresses are included on the ballot request forms and um, the Democratic Party and some candidates are saying, just take a cell phone picture, just take a snapshot photo of your absentee ballot request form and email it to your county election office and then you save the cost of a stamp. As for absentee ballots themselves, um, yes, you are supposed to attach postage to it, but the Postal Service says, you know, if it doesn't have postage, if you don't put a stamp on it, or if your stamp is 55 cents and your ballot is long and you should have affixed more postage, the Postal Service says they'll deliver that anyway. However, this issue will wind up in court. Um, the ACLU and Black Voters Matter have sued Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger over this issue of postage. They say it's a poll tax that the government should have prepaid for postage so that all voters should be able to submit their absentee ballots without having to pay for it. And that will end up in a federal courtroom in just a couple of weeks.
0: Well. We, you've been covering a lot of the pressure behind this move. You had a growing number of Republicans, including House Speaker David Ralston, and then eventually the the entire Republican congressional delegation, including both Kenner, Senator Kelly Leffler and her rival, R- Congressman Doug Collins, all endorsing a, a shift. Um, it put it put Secretary Brad Raffensperger in a t- pretty tough spot there for a little bit.
1: That's right. I don't
0: think Secretary of State Raffensperger enjoyed
1: the political pressure as well as the real life pressure of having move having to move the election. A decision that I think, as more time passed, he realized was inevitable. But then he found himself in this position where his attorneys, the state's attorneys, were telling him that he might not be on solid legal footing until the governor extended his emergency order. Um, But certainly there is a lot of politics to this where, you know, everyone from President Trump on down on the Republican side has expressed some skepticism about absentee balloting becoming the predominant method of voting in Georgia, as opposed to its more traditional voting method of going to the polls in person on Election Day or during three weeks of early voting. Meanwhile, Democrats nationwide and in Georgia are taking the other side. They're saying, let's move more toward voting by mail. Let's have more absentee ballot voting, which just further... Politicizes it where one side identifies with voting by mail and the other side identifies with voting in person. And meanwhile, you have this extraordinary circumstance of the Secretary of State and county election office officials resisting encouraging people to vote in person when the coronavirus is around. They have to find a way to run this election in the middle of the coronavirus. And Secretary of State Ravensburger decided that. Sending absentee ballot request forms was one way to make the election go on without encouraging people to go out and coming into human contact with other people.
0: Yeah, it's a bizarre scenario. We've been talking about this a lot in terms of religious services too. Like you're having clergy members say, "Don't come to church," "Don't come to synagogue." You're having elections officials saying, "Don't come vote in person if you can if you can help it." Um, it's it's a strange scenario. But you also mentioned it's, it's raised some concerns among Republicans about ballot fraud, and and you had uh, that that press that that press conference with Secretary of State Raffensperger a few days ago, uh, where he talked about a new task force that really upset a lot of a lot of his critics and a lot of Democrats who say that that Republicans are manufacturing a problem. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about what this task force is set out to do?
1: Well, it's set out to establish where there is absentee ballot fraud. In one way, it's a response to critics who say absentee ballot voting is insecure. And so it kind of appeases those critics, especially uh, members of Secretary Raffensperger's own party, the Republican party. And so it's still unclear exactly what this absentee ballot task force will look like. Its members haven't been announced. Um, it will probably investigate any allegations of voting fraud, maybe double voting if someone votes in, one, in two states, in Georgia and another state, or if someone votes from an address that isn't their own. For example, it may well recommend legislation, something that Secretary of State Raffensperger had sought this legislative session before it was suspended, was allowing voters to provide photo ID with their absentee ballot requests, I'm sorry, with their absentee ballots so that they would be sure to be accepted, which is kind of a step toward requiring photo ID toward absentee ballots in more circumstances. Currently, photo ID is required when you vote in person, but not when you vote by absentee. So that's one area where I think we might eventually see some movement. But this fraud task force, we really don't know a whole lot about it um, and what it will do yet, except for that it will try to be a investigative policing and policy panel that will try to make some sort of recommendations to improve absentee ballot security. And Democrats have pushed back pretty hard in that line, right? That's right. They say there's very little evidence of voter fraud in Georgia, that this task force is just a political move just to make it look like the Secretary of State is doing something to appease his critics. And, you know, it is true that absentee ballot fraud, as well as in-person fraud, is pretty rare in Georgia. It does happen occasionally, but those cases, you can see it in state election board meetings, they're relatively isolated. Sometimes you do find someone who moved to a different county and voted twice, and that's on them, you know, but we haven't seen large-scale fraud operations in Georgia in recent years, in part because of Georgia's voter ID law. It's hard to vote twice when you have to show photo ID at the polls. It's hard for organizations to do ballot harvesting and cast multiple ballots when that's illegal and everybody is watching. So of course, every system has flaws and security holes. but. So far in my time covering elections in Georgia, I haven't seen it to a great extent.
0: Now, you did a terrific story um a few, maybe a day or so before Raffensperger decided to um, delay the elections about what county elections officials concerns were, but holding a, a vote May 19th. What are you hearing from county elections officials now? Is June 9th um, enough time for them to prepare or is it still too early? Um, and do you think there will be a, yet another delay to maybe July or, or, or later? It's too early to tell if county election officials
1: will do much better with this three-week extension of the election. It certainly gives them more time to prepare. And really, that's the point of it, is give the county election offices additional time to try to hire people, to try to figure out how many precincts they can keep open and how many might close. Of course, they have to keep precincts open unless... Um, they're unavailable. And we've seen that, you know, we've seen senior centers and churches say, look, we're closed. We don't want to be responsible for people coming in here to vote or for church ser- services or for community events. We're, they're off limits. So a lot of things are in flux and it's really unclear what the world will look like in on June 9th and the weeks leading up to it. You know, we'll The coronavirus be worse? Will it be better? I certainly hope it's better. But until we get a little closer, you know, we're still about two months out from June 9th, a little bit less than that. So hopefully things will start to improve. As for another delay, that seems extremely unlikely just because of Georgia's laws and Georgia's election schedule. Um, The reason Secretary of State Ravensburger picked June 9th as the date for the new election is that's the latest date he could hold it while still meeting deadlines for sending ballots to military members overseas to have a runoff in August, to have early voting for the general election in November, and to keep the November 3rd general election on schedule.
0: And of course, this pushes back the schedule. Um, Can you go over the new key dates that that, uh are that our listeners and Georgia voters need to keep in mind um, for in-person early voting and and, the, and, that, and the really a, a new primary election runoff, too. Absolutely. We have a
1: whole new election calendar. Um, you can now register to vote again. If you're not registered to vote, you have until May 11th to register to vote and still participate in all future elections. Early voting, three weeks of early voting for the primary starts May 18th. Then the election is June 9th, the runoff. If there is one, and there probably will be one, and it might be interesting, especially with that Democratic primary for the U.S. Senate seat up with several candidates in there, that could well head to a runoff. So if there is a runoff, that would be August 11th. Then we'll have November 3rd election day and then possibly two runoffs after the general election, one for state and local races on December 1st, and then on January 5th, 2021, we'll have a runoff for federal races, including, very likely, the U.S. Senate race, where there's how many? 21 candidates
0: running it. 21 candidates, and uh, including uh, three well-known Democrats, and and of course, incumbent Kelly Loeffler, and Doug Collins, her, her main Republican challenger. So a lot of candidates in that one.
1: Right. So we'll have so many elections. I mean, we have a primary, a general, and two or three runoffs associated
0: with those races coming up this year. Well, Mark, thank you for so much for keeping us all informed about this rejiggering of the of the Georgia election calendar, which is going to keep both of us very busy throughout the rest of the year in a very condensed schedule and format. And also the candidates, because they've had a, as you mentioned, they've had to re- rethink everything they do. That's right.
1: It'll be really fascinating to watch once we get close to June 9th. It's really going to ramp up, I don't think, anything is going to slow down at all between June 9th and November 3rd. It's going to be nonstop with candidates hustling and voters paying close attention to what the future of our state and the nation should look like.
0: Thanks, Mark. We appreciate it. Thank you for keeping tabs on all this. Great. Thanks, Greg. That's all for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Visit AJC.com politics for all the latest in Georgia news. I'm Greg Bluestein signing off. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal Constitution presents. Hip hop's most
1: pulled elements